You're listening to Sermon Audio from Grace Community Church of Gresham, Oregon. For more information about service times and ways to follow us online, please go to gracecc.net. That's gracecc.net. And thanks for joining us. Lord, how we thank you for your mercy. We need it, and it's new every morning. Receive it in Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated. How do you like the rookies? Yeah. Yay. Yeah. Tim, when are you up here with Sarah? What? It's a family thing. Tim needs to be up here with you. No? <laughs> I don't know. We don't have any fun around here. Yeah. It's a... Uh, I, my son is here, David. You've seen pictures of him. Uh, he decided to come over and watch an event this afternoon. Anybody know what he's looking for? Uh, yeah, you know, what's going on? National Geographic. National Geographic. Yeah, that's what it is. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Just you know, just in context, just to put things in context. The, the earthquake in Turkey and Syria. You know, the official count is up to like thirty thousand people dead now. Who knows how many that will actually turn out to be because there's many bodies that will never be recovered. There are children that they have no idea who they are. They're just, they're just found in the rubble. Turkey and Syria. Uh, millions of people have no home. I mean, it's not they're displaced. There's no home left. It's just destroyed. And the magnitude of that tragedy is just overwhelming. Even as you watch the news... We were in a big earthquake in the Philippines. It wasn't anything like that. But just when the ground shakes and houses come down. So we just, I just want to pray for that. Can we do that? Lord, do you think of the people in Turkey there? Uh, many Christians, many, many more. They're not Christians. Just pray, Lord, that your mercy would be new to those folk as they try to figure out what to do now in the incredible cold that's there, freezing temperatures, lost children, Empower the aid workers, especially the Christian aid workers. And in Syria, where people can't get there because of civil war, Lord, you can get there. Will you be present with them in these times? I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. This event this afternoon, what's the problem? Travis, Jason, what's your last name? And what are they? They're brothers. What's the problem? They're playing for opposite teams. Kenzie and Eagles. They're both on offensive teams, so they won't meet each other actually on the field. Uh, they love each other. They're from a real strong Christian family. Both of them are outspoken Christians. I mean, they're wise in what they do, but they're very clear. Now, that's the kind of interesting part because they're not trading jerseys today, for sure. What's the problem? Mom. Mom. Who does she root for? That's Donna Kelsey. Ed is her husband, but she's the one who's been getting the news, and she's quite a character, as both of the boys are, too. So what's the solution? That's the solution, is root for both sides. Now, the question is, where will she sit? 
I, and I don't know the answer to that, but it's just very fun to watch this story develop uh, in this very close, very strong family. And mom has now got this jersey, and you know, this is a picture of her looking with her jacket on. And I found this, I mean, they are a Christian family, and I think about that's a metaphor of our church. Uh, we have a unity in Jesus Christ that's deep and profound. But we have people who are Democrats, we have people who are Republicans that in a different place would be yelling at each other. We have people who are pro-vaccines. We have people that are don't do vaccines. The whole COVID thing brought out and made it a real big issue. I see it the they just had a thing at the David Douglas School, and they're having one in West Gresham this week to have a clinic because ex- exclusion day is coming for kids. If they don't have their vaccines, they're not allowed to come to school. I mean, it's a huge issue. And what we're saying here is we come together in the unity of Jesus Christ around all kinds of divisive issues. The only people who don't allow in here are country western fans. Just... Yeah, yeah, exactly, Susan, yeah. But see, this picture is what we're about. There's a deeper unity that transcends. We don't pretend like the difference is not there. These two are going to be extremely competitive today. But they're going to home as brothers. And that's what we count for. John chapter 6 is our passage for today. It's a third sermon here in John 6. We're going to start here in verse 60. as a conclusion of this long story, a very powerful story. On hearing it, many of the disciples said, This is a hard teaching. Who can accept it? Where the disciples are grumbling about this, Jesus said to them, does this offend you? Then what if you see the Son of Man ascend to where he was before? The Spirit gives life. The flesh counts for nothing. The words I have spoken to you, they are full of spirit and life. Yet there are some of you who do not believe, for Jesus had known from the beginning which of them did not believe and who would betray him. He said, This is why I told you that no one can come to me unless the Father has enabled him. From this time, many of the disciples turned back and no longer followed him. You don't want to leave too, do you? He asked the twelve. Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. You've come to believe and know you are the Holy One of God. Then Jesus replied, Have I not chosen you, the twelve? Yet one of you is a devil. He meant Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, who though one of the disciples would later betray him. This is the word of the Lord. We receive this for our pondering and transformation here this morning. It's quite a story. Now I have to go back and redo some of the stuff that Jay did prior, just to bring it back into present thing here Jesus had this incredible claim that was a center of Jay's message last week and it comes down to really these two verses whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life and I will raise him at the last day my flesh is real food and my blood is real drink and my response to this what I have two basic responses to most of scripture. What? Or, huh. That covers most of them. And then some of it's okay, I need to get to work. But that's more in the huh line. This is a what? 
Like, tear off a finger and chew on it? You know, cut a vein and drink it? Like, what is he talking about? What does he say? Whoever what? Eats my flesh. Whoever what? Drinks my blood. You're kidding me, right, Jesus? Has what? Eternal life. Like, what do you think, I'm dead now? Is I'm chewing on your finger and drinking your blood? Like, what is he talking about? Now, clearly it's metaphorical. He's not encouraging cannibalism. Some people, I think, dumb this down and say Jesus is talking about the Eucharist. I personally think Eucharist fits in what he's talking about, but I don't think he's talking about the Eucharist, which we did last week. What is he talking about? What is the metaphor speaking to? Jay helped us look at that last week, and I want to think about it. What is eternal life? And one thing Jay talked about is the difference between uh, living and existing. The difference between zoe and bios, the two uh, Greek words there. Existing, well, that's conscious biological life. Uh, It's life in this world. Living is quite different. Living is where you're doing something, you say, man, this is living. This is, I mean, this is the best. That's one of the questions I've got. What is this in, man, this is living. That varies a lot by personality. But see, what he's saying here in this passage is that living eternal life is sharing the life of Jesus, the living bread from heaven. It's sharing in his life, sharing in his values, sharing in his mission, joining him in what he's doing in the community of Christ. It's sharing the very life of Jesus. And we talk about existing What we're really talking about is existing without that relationship. And frankly, hell is existing. And separated from God, or after death, if we're apart from him, means we exist only forever. What he's saying, we're sharing the bread, the life of Jesus, sharing his values, sharing his mission, sharing in what he's doing, sharing in the joy and the despair that comes in his life. And it's now as well as after death. See, I was taught that eternal life is what you get after you die. And it's true, that does go there. When we die as believers in Jesus Christ, we do go to heaven and we do have unending living but he's talking about his stuff right now. He's not talking about something yet in the future only. It's now he's talking about. And how do you get that? And the answer is what? You'd have to do what? You have to, come on, I just, you just fill in the blanks. You have to do what? Eat his body, eat his flesh, and drink his blood. Yeah, right. What does that mean? What does that mean? Jay took us through some of the idioms. You know, we chew on an idea. Jim Hislop 
He's back there somewhere. Had this picture on his Facebook page. I saw this, but it's even got a better. You can't see it in a picture. I mean, this is the. And you just you just drink it in. Just the beauty of this incredible sunrise here a couple of days ago. And when I saw it, Mount Hood was sticking up in the middle of it. Incredible. And you just drink it in the beauty of it. And it brings joy into your soul because our God created that. Now, last week, if you're listening, Jay challenged me. Did you catch it? He said some people just eat up their what? Eat up their what? Grandchildren. So, of course, I've got to have you look at my grandchildren. Who is that? That's David's older daughter, Nicole. And Colton, their wedding will be on July 1st. Not that I'm happy about that or anything. And Joy, his younger daughter, and Nathaniel, their wedding will be on April 29th. Don't look for me anywhere in Portland on those days. For sure, I'll be in Hermiston. We have a big family celebration over there in the joy of these two young ladies and their soon-to-be husbands and just celebrating. And when I eat it up, Elizabeth, my 15-year-old Kansas City granddaughter, beautiful, talented, brilliant young woman. And then there's Michael. He's just Michael. He's just full of fun and zip and... Yeah, you can tell he's rooting for. See, and that's what we're talking about, is we're talking about something you just, you just swallow it up. You, you, you swallow your words. You, you don't swallow a story. There's all kinds of metaphors for that. And what we're talking about when you say eat and drink, it means that we see something, we bring it into ourselves, and it changes our life. It's like eating good food, which is a metaphor he's using. If I have a uh, a good food. Uh, I just got invited last Sunday. I was over in Boise preaching at Capitol Church and the pastor took me out to a very fine steak dinner. As I sat there and ate that really fine steak, I was thinking about this sermon because I was not just preaching there, I'm preaching here too. And that steak gave me a lot of energy to uh, do what I wanted to do. Uh, I didn't, you know, drinking was kind of prosaic, it was water. But it's still, it's refreshing. That's what he's talking about. But he's saying, eat and drink me is what he's talking about. My flesh is real food and my blood is real drink. The metaphor as you explore it kind of makes sense, but it's still gripping and difficult. The Holy Spirit gives life. The flesh counts for nothing. The words I've spoken to you, he said to Peter and the disciples, they are full of spirit and life. And that's what we're talking about here today. But this caused offense. This caused offense. His words, well, they're spirit and life. His words, they are transforming everything that we are. They're transforming the believer's mind, heart, spirit, life. That's all of this is happening. Those words come in as we ingest and digest and be transformed by them. It's a different life. We've been talking about that this morning and such and just the difference that it makes in that transformation that happens because words have power. It was almost 55 years ago that I stood in front of Sherry's preacher with a suit on and he looked at me and said, Gary, will you love, honor, obey Sherry? I said, I will. Sherry said, thank you. He said, amen. And that was the end of that. And those words were transforming. 
you know, next month when we celebrate our 55th anniversary, we'll celebrate you know, all these years. And David, our younger son, is a product of that transformative words. And those words go on. Now, I must say, one of my closest friends, Catherine Kuhn, she's a little younger than I am, but not a lot, she's never been married. And she has an ecstatic life full of intimacy with people, just not marital intimacy. It's not saying marriage is the only way to go. It's one way to go for that fulfillment that comes as a, you're transformed, in her case, by the commitment to serve slum kids in Uganda through Hope Alive Africa. But this is a hard teaching. And the word hard there is sclero, and that's, uh, that's where we get our scoliosis from, the twisted back. These words are hard. They're offensive. Who can accept them? My way is, these words are hard. Who can hear them? They're offensive because they call for transformation. I don't want to transform many cases. And Jesus says the obvious, does this offend you? And he answers, you bet it does. Because you're calling me to something that's so hard. Many of the disciples, his disciples no longer followed him. Many what? Disciples. Now, that the Pharisees, who are so rigid in their thing, they see a man healed and they only see somebody who's carrying a mat. They don't see the miracle of the healing. That they're offended, totally get it, and he's been fighting with them. But these are disciples. These are people who said, yes, I'll follow you. They've joined in. They've come to him. And they grumble and stumble because the thing that is changing their worldview is too hard. Now, worldview is one of those you know, how do you answer the big question, what's ultimately real, what's the nature of humanity, what's ultimately good, what's the purpose of life, those kinds of things. What are the, how do you answer those questions is a big thing. I was saying to put it in contemporary metaphor, and that is, uh, you hear this all the time, I have my truth. And in my truth, this is true. Now your truth, I don't care about your truth, but in my truth, and that's the thing that says, I get to be arbiter to decide what's good and what's bad and what's success and what's not. I get to do that. And so what Jesus is saying is no, because the transformation that comes from eating his body and drinking his blood means I go from my truth to my truth. I'm making his truth, his values, his life, his priorities, my truth. In some cases, that's really good. Because if he says, I'm going to take your guilt and give you my righteousness instead, I say, go for it. But then he says, you are somebody who values prestige and privilege. I want you to give that up for my sake. In our case, Sherry and I had been married, oh, nine months. She was pregnant with Don, or David's older brother, and we sat talking to a guy from the Philippines, Don Bozel. I was teaching math in Jefferson County Public Schools west of Denver, and Don Bozel was recruiting math teachers. When I realized that, about halfway through the thing, I didn't want to talk to him in the first place, but the pastor made me do it. 
And so I realize he's recruiting me. So the first question you ask when somebody's recruiting you, what do you say? How much do you pay? What did he say? He just laughed out loud. They don't pay anything. You raise your own support. I said, wait a minute, this is 1969, thing called Tet Offensive. I've already gotten three induction orders from the Selective Service in New Mexico. I got a pregnant wife sitting beside me, and he's not going to pay me a thing to go to the Philippines? Are you kidding me? Six months later, we were in the Philippines with a two-month-old baby. Because then Jesus says, let's go. You go. My truth Success was being a university math prof leading a university club on a University of Colorado campus or something. That's my truth. His truth is I want you to give all that up, go to the Philippines. And we did. And David was born in Makati Rizal. That's what he's talking about. Is it offensive? You bet it is. Is it transforming? You see, absolutely. This is what he said. What if you saw the Son of Man ascending to where he was before? Now, he's talking about the ascension back up into heaven, which those disciples will see. But he's talking about the crucifixion, the resurrection that has to happen first. The spirit gives life. The flesh counts for nothing. The words I have spoken to you, they're full of spirit and life. What's he talking about here when he says the flesh means nothing? Now, he's just talking about chewing on a thumb. Flesh meaning this stuff. But see, in Paul... Flesh means sinful desires some of the time. So in Galatians 5, you've got spirit versus flesh. He's not talking about that here. What he's talking about here is what he says in John 1.14. The Word, the eternal second person of the Trinity, became flesh, concrete humanity. And what he's saying here is when you're doing life versus existing, concrete humanity profits you nothing because you do not have the capabilities to get life not existing life for yourself you have to let the Holy Spirit do that and the Holy Spirit comes through his words through his truth I have to go from my truth to my truth is what he's saying here concrete humanity as good as it is will not get you living is what he's saying How about you guys? Speaking of 12, do you want to get out of here? Do you want to leave too? Look at all these guys going. Are you going too? Who speaks up? Peter. Peter. Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. You've come to believe and to know that you are the Holy One of God. I've got a thesis, and we're going to develop as we go along here. I think Peter, every time he talks in the book of John, he is a faithful disciple. There are times he doesn't get it right, but he's always after Jesus. He's always following Jesus. Stay tuned to this channel. But this is the first thing he says in the Gospel of John. Where will we go? Am I offended? You bet I'm offended, because you're making life hard for me. I'm just curious, how many watching The Chosen? Hands. How many watching The Chosen? Majority of your sinners. <laughs> Episode 8 of season 3 came out this week. Incredible, incredible, powerful portrayal of Peter. Incredible, powerful. As he's wrestling with the hardness of life and what it means to follow Jesus. 
This is the guy. I'd leave you in a heartbeat, but you've got the words of your life. I think of Jeremiah, the season we were just in. When your words came, I ate them. They were my joy and my heart and delight. For I bear your name, Lord God Almighty. You can see the way that Jesus is referring back, hyperlinking back to this passage in Jeremiah the prophet. Peter believes and knows the words of eternal life. He's received them. He sees that there's more in Jesus and he wants it. But man, is it challenging. What he believes is two things about Jesus. First of all, he is the son of man. Now, it's an idiom. And understand that you have to go back to Daniel chapter 7. And there Daniel has the vision of the heavenly throne room. And he sees the ancient of days on the throne. And then verse 13, he sees this one like a son of man coming the clouds of heaven up to the ancient of days. Now, we hyperlink that phrase. And there's a number of places we go. But I'm going to go to Isaiah 51. I... Yahweh says, I am he who comforts you. You are that. Who are you that you're afraid of man who dies, of the son of man who's made like grass? What does son of man mean here? What's it parallel to? What's the phrase son of man parallel to? In Hebrew poetry, it's always parallelism. What's it parallel to? It's parallel to man who dies. The son of man is like grass. What's he saying here? Son of man is just human. Humans who die. Humans who need to be comforted. That's one meaning of son of man. If you look in Ezekiel chapter 3, you get a different flavor of this same phrase, son of man. God, he, the Lord said to me, son of man, eat what is before you, eat this scroll, and then go and speak to the people of Israel. Again, you see the eating being transformed. He receives into himself the words of God, and he speaks it. And he is here, not just a human, but a prophet who has the words of God and speaks them to comfort or confront the people of God. That's two dimensions, human and prophet. But there's a third dimension, as you keep reading here, He was given authority, glory, and sovereign power. All nations and peoples of every language did what? Who gets worshipped in heaven? Only God. Only God gets worshipped in heaven. Not even powerful angels. Only on earth, all kinds of things get worshipped. But in heaven, only God gets worshipped. So what is this saying? This one is a human who is also divine. And when you see son of man in the mouth of Jesus, this is what he's appealing to. A human, a prophet, but a human prophet who is also divine. And that's what Peter is grasping. You are the son of man. You are the son of man. But not just that. You are also the holy one of God. Now again, do the hyperlinking. There's a lot of places we could go, but only go to two. This is Isaiah 43. There's some more in your notes. I am the Lord, your Holy One, Israel's creator, your king. So the Holy One here is Yahweh, the creator of heaven and earth. Interestingly, the first person to attest to who Jesus is in the Gospels, anybody happen to know, Bible nerds? Who is the first person to attest to who Jesus is? 
hinted in Mark chapter 1. Got it yet? Who is the first person to say, yeah, you're the Messiah? Mark chapter 1. No, it's not Peter. There was a man in their synagogue who was possessed by an impure spirit. In the impure spirit, the demon cries out, what do you want with Jesus Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are. You're the Holy One of God. The first person to attest the deity of Jesus is a demon. How ironic. And it's terrifying. And should be, because Jesus kicks it out, and the man goes away healed. Jesus is, because Peter knows it's true, and receives it into himself, he is transformed. I can't go away, because that's who you are. There's nobody else that is that. Nobody. Oh, I'd go away in a heartbeat. But I can't. Because you have the words of eternal life. How do I get this life? That's the question. If there's this life is available, and I want to be beyond existing, I want to be into more life, Jesus said, I'm the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never be hungry. Next verse, he says, whoever comes to me, I will never drive away. So what's the first thing to get this eternal life? Come to Jesus. Lots of reasons to come to Jesus. A lot more reasons not to come to Jesus. Come. And what we have to realize here, it's absolutely true. Jesus won't refuse anyone who comes to him. He will not refuse anyone who comes to him. Roman oppressor, come to me. Hardened, bitter Pharisee, come to me. Woman who's been 12 years unclean with a bleeding, come to me. Bitter fisherman, come to me. He will not reject anybody. Ironically, even if they come for mere food, he will not reject them. Now, he wants them to do more than that. And his words may offend them, but he never, ever, ever refuses his relationship to anybody who comes to him. Now, it's true, the Holy Spirit has to draw us and enable us, but he draws and enables everyone. Will you come to him? Secondly, coming is important, but also believe in me. For my Father's will that everyone who looks to the Son and believes in him shall have eternal life and I will raise him up on the last day. So the second thing, not just come, you need to come, but you also need to believe. What does it mean to believe? Not just intellectual assent, like the demon. Oh, you're the Holy One of God. It's more than that. The reality is that Jesus is present now, available now, and wants relationship now. Many of you followed my cancer story when I first diagnosed 18 months ago with the metastatic melanoma in my heart and my lungs and brain. And that night after I got the diagnosis over in Boise, as I was talking with friends and then sleeping and praying and then on the airplane home, Jesus was with 
And the words formed in my mind, this is not the end. Keep on with what you're doing. Jesus is present. And he gives his relationship to us when we're willing to receive it and invest in it. And what it is there, we enter his way of seeing things. Changing my truth for my truth. So we're trusting and entrusting into a trustworthy person and promise. See, that's the heart of what we're talking about here, is I'm entrusting myself to Jesus, just like I entrusted myself to Sherry. And that's what he's calling for. And that comes in all kinds of different ways, because it, and it's an ongoing thing. We just had 21 days of prayer here. And that was an entrusting that people did as they came at 6 o'clock in the morning and got together and prayed in the early morning. We'll do it again after a certain baby shows up. Right, Piper? Yeah, absolutely. But Lauren's got to get rid of a load first. Yeah, and it's due here in a couple weeks. Little girl Piper's on her way. And we're excited to see that little girl. But we'll do more of that. We've got the early morning prayer before service done uh, down the hall to here at 740. Uh, 745? Yeah. You can join by Zoom if you can't be in here. But see, entering this life of prayer is part of that entrusting myself ingesting his words so they change us. Jesus says this, I'm the living bread that came down from him who eats this bread and will live forever. This bread is my flesh, which I'll give for the life of the world. Then he said this, I tell you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you will have no life in you. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I'll raise him up on the last day. It's an incredible, incredible, incredible promise. Worship team, you want to come up here? What do you do to get this life? What's the first step? Come. What's the second step? Believe. Entrust yourself. And that's the question. You accept the Father's enabling to see and enter into a life and a way of life. You're here in church this morning. You're probably not a Pharisee or Roman centurion type person. You're not the hater of Jesus. Or you wouldn't be here. But who left him in John 6.60? Disciples. And it's very likely there are some of you here this morning that are not yet followers of Jesus. Maybe you're here because you're here because Jesus is a provider for you. Maybe you're here because he's a teacher or an inspirational person or something like that. He says, eat my body, drink my blood, make, go from my truth to my truth. So I don't want to ponder here in these next minutes as we sing together. What's the next step you need to do in my truth becoming my truth, the truth of Jesus Christ? There's a huge joy there. That's one of my all-time favorite songs. It's so beautifully simple, but it's the heart of it. I was listening to a podcast this week by Brenna Blaine on Theology in the Raw podcast, Preston Sprinkles interview podcast. Brenna lives over in Vancouver, and she's a pastor's kid, grew up in the church, 
He didn't even have any interest whatsoever in ministry, but ended up in youth ministry anyway. Ended up in incredible, incredible mental health crisis, suicidality, all kinds of stuff, abused by a youth worker in their church. Her story is on the podcast, Theology in the Raw. It's a powerful story. I got to meet Brennan in some of her worst times and have walked with her some. One of the things she said there that just really grabbed me and akin to what we're talking about here is she said, I was looking for God to be my rescuer from mental illness. And I realized he didn't ever promise me that. What he promises, I will be with you. And that day when she was in the hospital, and the only reason she wasn't dead was a miracle of God. She realized, I've been asking for the wrong thing. I've been asking for too much and disappointed because he didn't give it to me. So there in the hospital room, she just prayed a simple prayer. Lord Jesus, help me know that you are with me. That's life. And that with is an empowering presence to lead you into greatest joys. But also may lead into the deepest despair because you'll sit with people that are in just horrible straits. But there's a joy and bring the life of Jesus into that. And it's incredible. It's incredible. I speak to you as an old man. Go for the joy. And it comes through life with Jesus by the power of the Spirit. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for loving us so much that you stay with us. Jesus, thank you for being the bread of life, that your body is bread, your blood is life. Thank you for dying for us. Thank you for giving us your righteousness, taking our shame, giving us your honor, going into our fears and bringing your power, and then calling us to be with you, even though it may mean taking up our cross and following you even there. Show us, Holy Spirit, these next steps, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I was going to say there are prayer teams, but there aren't. Oh, there are. They're coming. Any of us with this card here, talk to us. Don't leave here without discovering what it means to eat and bread Jesus. So prayer teams, prayer teams, go and change the world. Thank you for joining us for Sermon Audio from Grace Community Church here in Gresham, Oregon. For more information about service times and ways to follow us online, please go to gracecc.net. That's gracecc.net.